Hello and welcome to the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and today's show, Friday, June 16, 2017, is an extensive NBA Finals recap. First up, Bradford Bruns, resident NBA expert, St. Louis, his own Bradford Bruns. He's done some radio host work for them. We are going to break down all that happened, the Warriors winning four games to one, how they did it, what the Cavs can do, how they were helpless at times, and if the Doves are going to be here for a while as well. Let's break down the NBA draft at the end of that, and then Ryan Souls, my good buddy from St. Louis University, former radio co-host, we're going to discuss what this game, what this series means for Kevin Durant's legacy, for LeBron's legacy, if the NBA is in a good place or a bad place. And at the end, we're going to break down the Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather fight that was signed on August 26th. We're going to talk about all that and more. It's the Money Mitch Effect NBA Finals Recap Edition. Let's start the show. Okay, now joining us for the last time during basketball season, 2016-17, on the Money Mitch Effect Hotline. Recurring guest friend of the program, Bradford Bruns. Bradford, thanks again for joining the show. My man, it's always a pleasure. And I'll tell you what, given the manner in which the NBA season ended, admittedly, I was down in the doldrums. Then I got the call from you and I realized I have to pull through. I've got to muster the intestinal fortitude here to recap the season accordingly. You, my friend, are helping me out of this malaise of sorts. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know. Uh, Believe me, I know. And my first question to you is actually a statement. Um, It's that I'm basically immortal. I'm a pick god at this point. I've ascended beyond uh, NBA picking, uh, you know, this earth for NBA picks. And uh, I don't know that I could get anything wrong. I'm basically the new Jimmy the Greek. That's just my first oh, question. So you've, <laughs> so you've been the one to help really boost the domestic box office growth of Wonder Woman. I see. I see how it is. Yeah, just you know, just casually uh, doing God's work, as I like to say. But hey, you know what? When you're hot, you're hot. And uh, the NBA season went pretty much how I thought it would up until the very end. We made our finals picks on this show a couple weeks ago, and I went Dubs, yep. the Warriors, and five. It happened that way. Um, it was pretty convincing. We're going to get to why that was the case. But the end of the playoffs, a, a swift end, and really a, a playoff picture that went matter-of-factly. I, I think you would agree with that as well. There wasn't as much high oh, drama sure. as there were in recent years. No, I think that what you had, Mitch, and this has been well-documented, it's been bandied about by any number of observers, casual observers, fans, pundits, prognosticators, and the like, you had some fairly stirring games through the first two rounds of the playoffs, but then when we obviously got to the conference finals and moved on to the much-anticipated third part of the trilogy between Golden State and Cleveland, the vast majority of the action therein, yeah, it amounted to a letdown. It truly did. Think of how competitive or the lack of competitiveness we actually witnessed during the finals all told. You had one game in which game three, it was nip and tuck for a large percentage of the affair. Cleveland ends up surrendering that one. And to me, that was really, for all intents and purposes, the true, true barometer there. Cleveland was not measure, able to measure up, was not able to withstand and be able to protect its own home floor there in game number three. And that kind of set the overall thinner or reaffirmed it for those who were doubting the Cavs in the first place for the duration of the series. You bounce back in game four, giving maybe a little bit of hope, a little bit of a silver lining there to the faithful in the wine and gold crowd. But Cleveland was overmatched, and I have no problem 
confessing as much. I did go on the record, and I firmly stated I believed in the multiple-time MVP. I believed in possibly not only the greatest player of his generation, but one of the all-time greats in LeBron James to somehow spearhead this organization yet again and figure out a way to get it done. I turn it over, though, and I give all credit, all due credit in the world to Kevin Durant and company. And make no mistake about it, Kevin Durant, that acquisition last season after last year's ill-fated finals appearance by the Warriors, it made all the difference in the world. I'm not ready to herald him (laughs) as the new best player in the universe, but he certainly was able to rise to the occasion. We want to talk, of course, about the unprecedented statistics submitted by King James. And yes, no one had averaged a triple-double until he was able to do so during that series. But Kevin Durant, every single game, you're talking about eclipsing 30 points. You're talking about being efficient, too. And then also, on occasion, we should say more than on occasion, being pretty superlative defensively. And to me, that was one of the biggest things that stood out to me and honestly surprised me a bit. But, hey, you certainly want to salute him. And just a job well done all the way by the Warriors. I know they lost game four, obviously, but being able to carve, cut a swath through the entirety of the competition, going 16-1 and overall, that's nothing I wish to shake one's head, obviously. You didn't go undefeated, but you were damn close. Yeah, and to kind of go off that, it started with games one and two, Durant. We know LeBron's triple-double, but Durant being stride for stride with LeBron, with the greatest player in the world, is something to marvel at. But games one and two, Bradford, you, there's protecting home court, and there's what the Warriors did. And, and I keep going back to the start of the third quarter where the Warriors do their damage, and Cleveland looked like just another team starting the second half. Here come the Dubs, who you know give Cleveland some credit. In the first quarters of those games, they hung right there with Golden State. But I don't know, Bradford, was it them running out of gas? Was it Golden State just being at another level where they can hit their stride against everybody? What do you think was the key component to games one and two where Golden State just ran away with it to start the second half? By and large, Mitch, you had Golden State adhering to what it had done during down the stretch for you know the better part of the 2016-17 campaign. And we got the feeling, or at least we hoped, as astute basketball fans, diehards here, that we were going to see Cleveland be able to summon, somehow summon more of a challenge. But Golden State's offense, such as it is, is just unbelievably unparalleled in terms of being able to be cohesive in terms of being able to just run at an unprecedented pace and when you have that combination of knocking down shots and to a greater extent I think creating high percentage shots that's something that Cleveland was not able to account for not able to communicate well enough defensively it's one thing to actually state or try to put out there hey you know what we're going to attempt to do our best to rotate to run them off of the three-point line and then to have the athletes to at least somewhat muster some semblance of an attack in that area. Cleveland simply does didn't have it. And when you think about the style in which this series ultimately concluded, you think about game number five, of course, and you just consider Golden State being able to continuously sustain that pace, running up and down, and Cleveland is doing everything it can, LeBron, Kyrie in particular, to keep up, to even keep within state remotely within single digits. And it wasn't enough because at the end of the day, Golden State's overall attack, overall methodology, the bench right there, the strength in numbers cast, just overwhelmed that of the Cavaliers. And going into the offseason, for me, one of the biggest, biggest concerns for Cleveland, when you're talking about an aging group of complementary players, complementary players, mind you, who weren't totally effective for the most part anyway during that series, and some would argue various points at various points of the playoffs, 
How are yeah. you going to reload with some of these compliments, the supplementary cast? Because LeBron James, the physical marvel that he is, when you're talking about getting now inching closer to the mid-30s, and I don't even want to throw out into the universe what may happen after 2018. Let's just say, <laughs> for argument's sake, he's, yeah. he's staying there. He's staying okay. in the great state of Ohio. Other than Kyrie, other than a couple of other guys about or in whom you may have some confidence, Who's going to be the right. roommate? You know, who's going to give you an opportunity to actually go out there and somewhat measure up well, to the Warriors? I don't see it right now. You made the acquisitions. You thought, hey, Kyle Korver, Darren Williams, guys like that can at least help you. And yeah. they were no-shows. They now, were no-shows. What do you do now? They did not show up. And, you know, it's interesting, too, with how that team is constructed. A lot of offensive guys that only play offense, a lot of defensive guys that only play defense. Golden State just took advantage of that fact. And, and, you know, it was scary to me, too, Bradford, was that in games one and two, Golden State looked like they can play better. They missed a lot of layups in game one. Game two, I mean, or game and game one, Clay Thompson was horrendous shooting the ball, great defensively as he was all series. In game, in game two, Curry was sloppy. They had so many turnovers, and yet it looked like they can play better. Uh, they had a peak that I think that we didn't know that we could see. It was another gear, another element, so to speak, and... To kind of go off that, you know, just a tad and, and look at what Kevin Durant said after the fact, he mentioned that they thought that team, Golden State, could break down Cleveland's defense with the extra pass. It wasn't just a couple passes. It was that fourth or fifth pass. And you saw it. You right. saw it in, in spades in the closeout game. No matter how many times LeBron or Kyrie came down and scored, Golden State would run up the court and catch Cleveland in a mismatch, and it was uncontested layup, uncontested dunk. Even more so than the threes, that's what I'll remember about this finals. Yeah, there is an overall selflessness that permeates that club, Mitch, and everybody likes to see, everybody revels in the fact that, yeah, you're averaging, you average over 120 points per tilt in that series, and yet we didn't necessarily see the grade-A execution on a lot of those nights, but it is each and every individual making that proverbial extra pass. It is Kevin Durant actually giving a look off and then being able to dish it out to the wing, down low, kick out, and so forth. You've got guys like Andre Iguodala who are still stepping up, who are giving you 20 points and more in all box score categories in the closeout game. You've got St. Louis's own Patrick McCall. Yeah, you've yes, got sir. unheralded. You've got unheralded youngsters stepping up in the big moments. One night, it's Ian Clark giving you some minutes. The next, the venerable veteran in the backcourt, Sean Livingston. You go from deploying JaVale McGee in games one and two to not even having actually having him see the floor and the close out there. So when necessary, Golden State, and I think a fair amount of this also had to do with Steve Kerr being able to go back behind the bench and turn those screws to in games two on, being able to know his collection of talent, know his personnel, and even though they weren't heavy minutes by no means, they were still, they were deep enough as a supporting cast to be able to fluster the opposition there in Cleveland, and Cleveland didn't have any answer in that regard. When you had J.R. Smith playing 30-plus minutes in Game 5, when you had LeBron leaving the floor for maybe 20 seconds, mm -hmm. when you had Kevin Love in foul trouble, who stepped up? There was no one, and that's what Tyron Lue is definitely, that's what's yeah. going to be keeping him up at <laughs> night a lot this summer. Well, well there's some more Ty Lue talk I want to get to in a second, chatting with Bradford Bruns on the Money Mitch effect and, and the fact that Jefferson basically got all of Shumpert's minutes, which we wondered about going yeah. into this series, if that would be the case. But I want to look at the Golden State side for just one more second as we, as we move into the later stages of this series. Kevin Durant, much deserved, finals MVP. But let's talk about the return of 
MVP caliber Steph Curry. This was a guy that was banged up all of the last playoff run, started the season very slow, but from a little after the midway point and through the playoffs, he looked spry, he looked fresh. Bradford, what was it about his game that you think really set the tone and, and really catapulted this Warriors team? I, I think it's safe to say he might have never looked better than he did in this series. I don't dispute that, and it's amazing, isn't it, when you have somebody able to enter the proceedings fairly fresh or fresher than your counterpart on the other side in a LeBron James, having had your minutes limited, and again, wise move on the part of the coaching staff. You're coming in, and that makes, that makes such a huge difference when you're talking about the regular season, playing a shade over 30 minutes. I believe he averaged just under 34 overall for the season, but being able to then get to where you want to be physically, to be able to now understand several years into these protracted postseason journeys, when you have to ramp it up, when you have to reel it in a little bit. And what stood out to me the most, though, I think, Mitch, about what Curry was able to do in the finals, and you had some extravagant shooting displays on occasion, okay? He wasn't, I wouldn't say, vintage Steph Curry from beyond the mm-hmm. heart for the most part. He shot about 38%. Here's what I love, though, about his game. Think about the regularity, especially in games two and five, the close out there, the regularity with which he got to the free throw line. Think about, and a lot was made about this as well on the TV broadcast. You saw what I would say was an unprecedented amount of grit along the interior. Can yeah. you think of any other occasion on which Steph Curry is hanging, trying to hang and bang down in the paint with the big uh, uh. and picking up six? Seven, ten, thirteen rebounds. Exactly. I mean, he he was out rebounding Cavs interior players. Tristan Thompson got out rebounded in this series by Steph Curry. That can't happen for the Cavs to have had a chance. Story. That's that's another. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's leave the Kardashians now. But uh, anyway, uh, I I think (laughs) I think part of it was a scouting report last year in the final three games of these NBA Finals that Cleveland won. They owned the glass. They were physical. I think Golden State knew that for them to really put a stranglehold on this series, they had to give extra effort to attacking the glass. Curry was at the forefront of that, but give their entire roster credit because they would not be denied on the glass. No, and that's a hallmark of the person he's evolving into, I would say, the player he's evolving into. I'll give him that much credit because for the first few years of his career, and even in the beginning, I would say, the beginning stages of that MVP run, I still looked at him as, Yes, an unbelievable threat at that, but still a fairly one-dimensional offensive player. What has he done since? He's been able to expand that repertoire. And in addition to being able to pick up the boards, to being able to crash as well as he can, can given the limitations of his 6'3", a, mm. a generous 190-pound lifting. Mm. How about the ability also, the uncanny ability that he displayed, Mitch, in terms of facilitating that offense and truly at times running the point now a modified version of point when you're at the helm there at Golden State but I think as much as we should also credit his ability to come up with four if I'm not mistaken just off the top of my head four double doubles four games in which he dished out at least 10 dimes that's a testament to him it's a testament to his growth and then on the flip side too it should be an absolute affront to Kyrie Irving, to the rest of the perimeter defenders on the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know in all likelihood the team against which you're going to be butting heads for the next few seasons, figure out a way to address that severe concern. Because we've known for years now, yes, Kyrie Irving, arguably, well, it's not even an argument, one of the best (laughs) one-on-one players that we've seen in quite some time. But we know he has that tendency to consistently get 
hammered off the dribble. It was more evident than ever in this series. And beyond that, Jaron Williams can't give you the tenacity in that department. J.R. Smith is a little overzealous. Amon Shumpert appeared to have aged about five years during the course of the series, the playoffs alone. What do you do about that? There's not a simple answer, but you have to start brainstorming. It's going to be a tough decision, continuing to chat with Bradford Bruns on the money, Mitch Effect. I don't know how you address that in particular, and I think we got back to Cleveland for game three of this series, and you knew that it was the point in time where Cleveland, like last year, had to make a stand, couldn't get down 3-0. And for three quarters and about nine minutes or so, they were doing just that. They were hanging tough, hitting shots. They weren't playing at that crazy, frenetic pace that Golden State was accustomed to. But the game that everyone will remember most, I think, about this finals, that stretch, game three, an 11-0 run to end the game for the Warriors, that they win. So much to talk about. It starts with giving credit where credit's due. Bradford, for as scrutinized as he is, Kevin Durant stepped up in the biggest moment of his life and he delivered, hitting that three, making the play to win the game. And that's where it starts with hats off to an unbelievable champion. No, bottom line, he certainly erased the the stench, the bitter, bitter memories of that collapse. It was it was a collapse. Let's be candid that Oklahoma City stuffed yeah. against Golden State, and a lot of that, you know, it falls on or it fell rather on the shoulders of Kevin Durant. When you have a three-one lead against a team that just had established a new high watermark among NBA squads for single-season wins, and you absolutely have them exactly where you want, and you want to complete that narrative of going back to the finals, you have them in the palm of your hands, and you essentially, as still the de facto guy, let them get away, you know, that's that's rough, obviously. It was a rough period for him, and I don't want to, I would like to put to bed, I know it's not going to happen anytime soon, especially for the Durant detractors, I would like to put to bed that ever-so-convenient narrative of jumping on the coattails, riding the coattails, however you want to categorize oh. it, because this is an instance here of KD going out to the West Coast, going out to the Bay Area, and spearheading the effort. All the credit, yes, you can give all the credit you want to Seth Curry. You can talk about Draymond Green, the grit there, the toughness. You can talk about Clay Thompson and everybody else, too, who inhabit spaces on the floor for that team. But Kevin Durant delivered the title the second in three seasons to Golden State. He was not by any means, any from the opening tip of game one, never a bystander, rather always at the center, at the mm. crux, at the hub of the action. Whenever you needed a big shot, whenever you needed a big play defensively to boot, yeah. he was right there. He, he too, he too, <laughs> in addition to LeBron James, we just saw, I think, two of the best individual performances in the finals in at least the last decade or so. And I, I include James in that category on the losing side, but as far as winning MVPs, MVPs from winning teams, you can't do more than Kevin Durant just did for five games. Yeah. He simply can't. He had to prove it, and he, he did. He did, and and it was, like you said, he killed a lot of runs, a lot of little momentum that Cleveland had. Durant would make the play, whether it was the shot, the dunk, the pass, or a defensive play on his end. I want to talk about the Cleveland side of things because you can't have, a, have an instance where there's an 11-0 run and not at least wonder what the other side did wrong. And this isn't going to be to knock LeBron James. I thought the decision to pass to Corver was a basketball play that he he's made and he will continue to make, and, and rightfully so. You can nitpick sure. about whether he should have you know known that KD was a pull-up shooter. I, I think, if anything, he was a little tired, and I put a lot of this blame on Ty Lue. I, I don't think he – I think he kind of let the moment get away from him at the end. Mm -hmm. 
There was some decision-making that I didn't think he nailed. Uh, not going two-for-one. The Kyrie iso play just looked like a free-for-all. Uh, and then they let 10 seconds run off the clock before they fouled originally. You know, when Kyrie missed that shot, I thought that was strange. There was just a lot. Gorver not being out there when they were down three. This was this was not a good look, in my opinion, for Ty Lue more than anybody. No, he definitely botched a few decisions, I think, down the stretch, Mitch, in crucial moments. There's no question about that. Now, from a standpoint of how do you adjust from this, how do you maybe tinker a little bit, and how do you maneuver with that within that methodology, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Cleveland evolves, if at all, as, as an offense, specifically the defense. That's where I certainly I continue to scratch my head because defense on so many nights, it did boil down to a matter of desire. And quite frankly, during the better part of the season, the Cavaliers, for whatever reason, did not seem to have it. Now, you heard LeBron James, he addressed this briefly in his postgame remarks following Game 5, talking about how, well, really, he bemoaned the fact that they weren't healthy for the majority of the season. Right. But still, given the cast members you have, I, I understand, yes, the need for communication, the need for stability there with respect to the personnel. But still, Cleveland just didn't work as hard on the defense. And then I don't think anyone is going to argue against that point. Going the next season, though, flashing forward and talking about the way in which the offense is run, yeah, you think back to, to the latter moments there of game number three, and you think about how Kyrie was so effective in the second half, the fourth quarter, and you were letting him basically take those shots, letting him run things and orchestrate and be the guy on offense. And I think that you're going to continue to actually see Cleveland either live by the Kyrie makes or, you know, die by the Kyrie misses moving forward because I just, I don't conceivably envision a scenario in which LeBron James going into next season at 33 or thereabouts is going to be able to, to possess the basketball as much is going to be able to dictate things as much. There's going to have to be some yielding in that respect to Kyrie Irving more consistently. You think about just the activity level with LeBron and the basketball consistently 40 plus minutes a night and, I keep coming back to how many games during the regular season, and we know the way in which the Cavs finished the regular season as it was, you know, with a barely, over the last couple of months, a record eclipsing 500 there, and yet LeBron's continuing to go out. He's playing essentially every game. He's playing 40-plus minutes. Where does the compromise come in between the coaching staff and the player himself? He's not showing any visible signs of decline numbers-wise, but it, any, how do you preserve that ability when it matters the most, anticipating another lengthy postseason run? How do you account for that during the regular season? How do you shave off some of those minutes? That comes down to the supporting cast. Kyrie Irving, too. That's the same thing. When you talk about those two players and the minutes, the work they logged this season compared to what Golden State was able to do, resting its guys at least five additional minutes per game. That's a difference right there because in the fourth quarter, in a must-win situation, a close-out opportunity, when Cleveland's trying to dig down as much as it can to pull something out there, some energy and reserve, it wasn't there. Now how do you make the adjustment? LeBron himself talked about contemplating, okay, what exactly are we going to do as, <laughs> as, as Cleveland? You know, Cleveland, too. Cleveland has a lot of decisions to make. Is it going it's... to be David Griffin actually making the decision <laughs> as far as assembling, you know, a new renovated supporting cast, if you will, for LeBron. There are just so many things that you have to look at, and yet, having said all of that, Eastern Conference next season, there's still no team in which on which I would place more money to come out of the East. Right. Well, you got to see some of the dominoes fall, but yeah, it, it's pretty it's pretty apparent who the favorite would be. You know, and, and I look at Game Five, the final game of this series, Bradford was how the series had gone. Cleveland fought to the end. 
You know, they battled. The, their stars continued to fight. I mentioned on our preview show, the reason why I really was confident in my Warriors pick was because I felt like LeBron and Kyrie and even Love, who, who didn't play great in Game 5 but had his games, you know, he, he they could go off and the Warriors could still outscore them. So my question is, like, how could you address that defensively? Because I don't know that adding more firepower, you hear rumors of Paul George, you hear rumors of, of whoever, Melo maybe. Uh, but I don't know if adding firepower is the answer. Are you going to somehow figure out, devise a way to beat Golden State at its own game? Nobody does it better. You could argue no one's mm-hmm. done it better, no team in the history of the game. So trying to match wits in that capacity, trying to match the pace, Tyron Lue, hey, everybody in the Cleveland organization was, was adamant. After the first two losses, we're going to stick to what we do. We, too, are going to counter by playing fast. But, you know, in essence, it was lip service because everyone knew, you know, in part of hearts, that you're not going to be able to keep up. You're not going to be able to maintain that for 48 minutes, let alone several games against Golden State. So how do you how do you go about trying to, in some ways, you know, offset that next season? Well, I think it does come down to defense, but that's where, Mitch, there are very few answers, in right. my opinion, because you are saddled with some pretty large contracts yet guys who aren't going to be necessarily off the books who aren't going to be necessarily off the roster and yet aren't suddenly going to develop into defensive stoppers so what happens there if let's just say devil's advocate here or you know playing amateur armchair general manager let's just say that things things on the kevin love front they get a little more sticky you can't you continue to hear some more talk some more murmurs considering are concerning hey you know paul george what would it take to pry him away from indiana finally with his deal carmelo anthony you threw that name out too let's consider some of those guys though and what they bring you as far as a different component goes relating to your team kevin yeah. love he did he picked up two early fouls we understand in game number five he was just fine though for the most part during the series and he showed to me he demonstrated throughout the playoffs a heretofore really unrecognizable defensive tenacity. We saw that. We saw that in the Boston series in particular. Are you going to be able to, if you are more inclined to move a Kevin Love, well, what are you fetching in return? Is somebody like a Carmelo Anthony at this point, at this juncture in his career, all of a sudden going to morph, as I said, into a a, a keen, (laughs) defensive-minded individual? I think not. Paul George, he's a different story entirely. You're talking about someone who is an elite defender, but then again, you're sacrificing some overall size in the post, and all of a sudden, Max Steele notwithstanding, through the first two and a half games of the NBA Finals, I was mightily concerned with the no-shows posted by Tristan Thompson. That's your one, supposed to be your one stalwart individual on whom you can always rely to pile (laughs) up double-doubles, efforts, tips, deflections, offensive boards, and all of a sudden, it all disappears. 85 million. 85 million, Bradford. That's how his contract is. So I'm just, Mm. yeah, that's that's one of those tough ones. Well, it's going to be tough for Cleveland because... You, you mentioned earlier the LeBron James, you know, the, the 2018 murmurs, but let's forget about that for a second. This is just an aging roster that doesn't have a lot of cap space. They have no draft picks. No. They, it's tough. I mean, if it's David Griffin or if it's the next guy, they got their work cut out for them. We know that the Cleveland roster right now is good enough to run the East, but we're starting to see that might not be good enough at all to, to make a serious run at the championship given what these Warriors can do. Uh, going forward, so that that remains to Washington. be seen. Yeah, I mean that that was next week. I think I missed number one pick. You know, I missed one series, all playoffs, and it was the Eastern Conference semifinal between Boston. Wow, that's right. And Washington, and <laughs> I just could not believe it. 
The Golden State wins. I want to put a bow on this before we, we end with some draft talk. Bradford, they get their ring. It was uh, it was good to see Durant celebrate with his mom, with his family. Golden State's back on top, and it's going to be tough to supplant them if their guys are all going to take less money and if the core that generally likes playing together wants to stick around. I don't say this as a diss to Russ. I'm a big Westbrook fan, but I think it's pretty obvious that Durant and Curry just complement each other better as basketball players. I think that's an incredibly fair. And when you envision what this team could be like, when you think about so many different individuals entering their respective physical primes, dare I would say too, for the next three to four to five years, why wouldn't you be able to keep this core together? Why wouldn't you be able to get Draymond Green, get Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, obviously, and Kevin Durant facilitating that too, as far as the cuts go, to keep it all together, to mesh as one. This group genuinely seems to enjoy playing with one another too and when you play at that pace when you are setting the tone in that regard and you are doing things you are putting up numbers and you are putting up shows that we have not witnessed ever in the history of this game and everybody's getting enough looks everybody's getting enough shots you're going to get your numbers regardless plus the most important numbers of all namely the victories and the larry o'brien trophy so I don't see any any sort of an mm-hmm. end to, to the domination in sort. I don't see any, at right now, on June the 15th, I don't see any sterling opposition from the Western Conference. Now, hey, maybe as we progress the next month or so, maybe San Antonio gets a little nuts. Maybe San Antonio is able to lure Chris Paul, whomever, away from the West Coast. Maybe you've got a couple of other teams out there. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. You've yeah, got Anthony Davis. You've got, yeah. you've got Cousins. You've got other guys. You have teams perhaps, you know, stealing themselves, readying themselves to build a cast. But here's where everybody else has has the leg. Golden State has a leg up, I should say, on everybody else. That cast now, and Kevin Durant did integrate himself into the cast seamlessly. They've been playing together for years. They're only going to. It's scary to think about, but they could conceivably get better from an overall execution standpoint. They're ahead of the game. Everybody else is playing catch-up. You think you're going to track these guys down in the next couple of years when they're at their physical prime? Good luck. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you threw out a lot of hypotheticals. Maybe Jerry West will, will rid the Clippers of the Rivers family. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, uh, I see what you're saying, though. It's going to be tough. I mean, breaks happen. Things can change on a dime, but the Warriors uh, look like they could be here, and we could be seeing a lot more of this finals matchup. So... We'll see. And and the parade today, pettiness was on full display on both sides. You had the Cavs posting away on social media. You had Draymond with his quickie shirt. Um, this is the age we're in. This says more to me about the age that we're in. <laughs> Back in the day, they would say these things at bars over a few drinks. Now social media and funny t-shirts are, are where it's at. So welcome to 2017. I have no qualms with, <laughs> no qualms with that middle school level insult from LeBron, particularly as an office fan. You keep doing your thing. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, here we go. Uh, but all right, Bradford Bruns, <laughs> Money Mitch Effect. If you want to find out what the insult is, you can look it up. I'm not going <laughs> to waste any time on that. But um, all right, draft. Draft is in a week from today. So we're at a point now where I think it's going to be a deep draft, maybe one of the deepest ever. Five, it looks like surefire picks at the top. A, a second wave of another five or so that look to be good. Yeah, there's a lot of drama, yeah. and I'm going to let you kind of kind of pick and choose what your favorite storylines are, Bradford. Everyone seems to put Fultz in at one to Boston for obvious reasons. Two is, is drama. Will Ball go to the Lakers? I'm really interested in three, four, and five. I think there's good those th- those next three, Tatum, Fox, 
and uh, God, I'm drawing a blank right now. Tatum, Fox, and Jackson, of course, from Kansas. Those are the guys oh, yeah. that I'm intrigued about where they go. What, what's what's tickling and, your fancy going into this draft? As far as storylines go, how about anything not involving the ball clan? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not much, so you're going to have to be you know, you're pretty specific. It's harsh. Yeah. It's harsh. It's unnecessarily harsh with respect to the young man out of UCLA. But, yeah, let's look at it a little bit as far as that constitution of the top five, maybe even the top ten. And I'm with you insofar as I really like that, that first tier, not just the first tier, though, but the second wave, the second tier of guys who could become, who could gradually transform into star players or big, big-time contributors in this league. And right now you are seeing, I think, maybe it's just a, a late bit of, of posturing or you, you're getting some smoke and mirrors as far as is there intrigue, is there actual intrigue surrounding the number one pick? It makes too much sense to me, though, Mitch, for Fultz not to go, Fultz out of Washington, of course, not to go to Boston and to be able to set the tone, to be able to be the wingman for Isaiah Thomas in that backcourt for years to come. You know, he has this full package as far as the skills go, as far as the size. I like the fact you're talking about a point guard, too, especially in a diminutive backcourt right now for Boston, who's 6'4", who can see over the top of a lot of defenders right there, counterparts at his position. I think it makes too much sense to really ignore there, regardless of, of whether you think Lonzo Ball to the Lakers is a foregone conclusion. After that, in that 3-5, to five, I would say even 3-6, to 3-7 to seven range, when you think about Tatum, when you think about Fox, Isaac Smith, Monk, too, in addition to those other guys. It's really intriguing because of the different, the varied skill sets that they're going to bring. I pity, quite honestly, whoever ends up going to Philadelphia and Sacramento, frankly, at three and five, respectively. But if I'm looking right now, and I am a 76ers fan, and number three, and this man, I've been able to see him on a number of occasions, been able to call a lot of okay, games yeah. in high school. I say, I say, why not Jason Tatum? I'm looking at the roster right now. Is there anybody with a better, a better build, one in which, one to which he could also grow into, I would say, in the league right now, as far as those top five picks, than a Jason Tatum. Yeah, Josh Jackson, he's around the same. He's comparable in that mm-hmm. regard. But Jason Tatum, for me, the star yeah. turn that he performed down the stretch for Duke and in the NCAA tournament, very few guys showed up in the last game for the Blue Devils this season. Jason right. Tatum was one of them. He led that team. He spearheaded the <laughs> offensive efforts down the stretch during a really trying season, his only season there. For Coach Juszewski. So I like Tatum. I think there's a lot of room for growth there, too. The skill set naturally is undeniable. I like Tatum a lot. I could very easily see him being the, the no-doubter pick there at number three, Mitch. Although yeah. I will say, to me, one of the most intriguing, for me, perhaps the most intriguing prospect of all actually pertains to one of John Calipari's products. And so many different individuals at the beginning of the college basketball season, last season, I felt were fixated, focused, and rightfully so on Malik Monk. I mean, this guy's throwing up the 30-plus scoring effort seemingly every game or every other contest. But De'Aaron Fox, when you Mm. really watch the tape, when you examine that, you think about all the multitude of ways he can break down a defense from the point guard position. I know right now he needs to put on some weight. I know he needs to put on some meat. At 6'3", though, and with that ability to wiggle his way to the basket, to dribble drive, to penetrate, knock down shots too. He's fearless. He's a competitor. I like him as much as virtually any player in this draft, quite frankly, and I think it would be a crime if he somehow falls beyond, below number four to Phoenix. Now, the Suns have some fine backcourt play already. We know that. I can't see him dropping any farther than, say, Sacramento at number five, but De'Aaron Fox from Kentucky, and we know that both of those guys are going to go in the top ten. There's no doubt about that. 
But I'm telling you, Fox, not only for rookie of the year honors, but long term, he very well could have, I'm serious, as good of a career as virtually anybody else in this draft. Okay. I firmly, firmly believe so because of what you saw against the best competition, SEC and otherwise. He's yeah. If he is fearless enough to go to Sacramento, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> but no, I, I you know he cares out there. We saw the competitive drive taking it to the best, and and you're right on the money. This is going to be a great blue chip player. A couple storylines for me. Let's start out with this one. The first 16 picks are going to be 15 freshmen and an international player. <laughs> that, that's pretty impressive. I think we're actually underselling how good Markel Fultz is. I think he was on a bad team. Uh, a lot of people didn't get to see him in the Pacific Northwest. I think this kid's going to be a stud, uh, and, and I think that's something to see. He could be very well as good as any draft prospect, you know, in the in the in the next couple of years uh, as well. The, he the, was the lone bright, bright spot yeah. in the low Romar swan song. <laughs> yeah, I know. How, I know you shed a few tears cool. uh, metaphorically for that guy, but um, no. And and I think the other thing to consider too. We can talk about the Lakers and whether ball is whether that's a smoke screen, whether they're really going to take him or not, or if they're just posturing. The Lakers draft is important for determining the direction of their team. No draft pick next year. All these young guys, not sure how the pieces fit. If they go ball, do they make a trade? Trade D'Angelo Russell? Do they go Jackson or, or somebody else or Tatum instead? I mean, they got some choices there. That three to five drama, I, I like Jackson. I think that's where Philly's going to go as of right now. I just like Tatum on Phoenix. I think that fits. I like I like Jason Tatum a lot, but you put him with Devin Ooh. Booker, and I like that one-two punch for years to come. And I do think Fox will probably slip because of just the, the positions and the numbers game. And Sacramento would be lucky to have a player like him running the point. But, you know, it's funny, too, and you mentioned Malik Monk. I think he got maybe a little overhyped at the beginning. But I like a guy like that who can shoot that, you know, might be only great at one thing, but it's a very great trait to have. And slipping in the draft might not be the worst thing because the further down he goes, the better these teams are. Everybody in the league needs outside shooting. The finals taught us that. So, yeah, I'm glued in. This is I'm not always invested this much in drafts, but they've got me this year at least. Well, well, Monk could be the next great shooter in the Big Apple and consistently get I like to it. enjoy 25 <laughs> win seasons. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Him and the zinger just running up and down the court for 20, maybe, well, maybe he can 30 be a wins. Maker. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Phil, if somebody has to go recharge or plug back in Phil Jackson for that to happen. By the way, but. can you can you even pronounce Frank's last name? Have you tried it? Our international stalwart. No, no, not yet. I'm not ready yet. I've had a couple dry runs. I'm not ready to say it on there yet. But I actually think the international, and we can kind of end on that, Bradford. I think the international players. You could argue that, given the recent successes that we've seen. This might be the best position that they've been able to come in with, with the best publicity, if that makes sense. Like, we've seen a lot of international guys ball out. Porzingis, the most recent one. I think teams aren't as afraid anymore to take chances on these guys. No, because they're considered, especially relative to a decade or so ago, Mitch, and you had virtually no knowledge concerning so many of these guys. Now, though, they are viewed much more under that prism of being not necessarily ready-made, for the professional ranks in the United States, but their games are more mature, a little more advanced, a little more sophisticated, I think, than a lot of guys who are right now playing that college system, so to speak, and regrettably, or, you know, going, of course, to the D1 ranks for just a year and then getting out and looking to maybe refine certain aspects. You're talking about guys who are playing against professional level, level players overseas who are much more ready to acclimate themselves 
to the game here in the United States. And let's think about just also how the game here, the NBA, has transformed to mirror what you see so much now in Europe. When you see teams spreading the floor, big guys draining jumpers, going beyond the arc, venturing too, the game has changed and so much of that has actually been predicated on the influence of the European players coming over. The NBA has seen that. That's really the model of play over there. And you've seen how many of those attributes and how many of those different traits actually manifest themselves in the pro ranks, too. And I don't think that's going to disappear anytime soon. I mean, heck, when you've got somebody such as Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard going on the record and saying, man, this offseason, guess what I'm doing? I've got to learn how to shoot three. <laughs> oh, First my of all, goodness. I'm still trying to pry myself, peel myself off the floor. But it does go to show you exactly how this game has changed, the extent to which it has changed. And, guys, yeah, you don't have individuals who are playing with their back to the basket anymore. No. And the international game is responsible for a lot of it. Not saying all of it, but a lot mm-hmm. of it. Wow. Well, yeah, Dwight, I think that ship has sailed. Hate to break it to you. But he's running out of locker rooms to destroy from the inside, so I think he's just got to try new tricks. Uh, yeah, I'm ex- oh, hey now, but, but isn't Houston <laughs> supposed to be the next uh, dynasty in the making or a team that's going to assemble the superpowers? <laughs> wow, this is, uh, I, I think the only outcome is Dwight and a Kardashian getting together and then the axis of the universe re- reversing. So. Hey, that <laughs> ship has sailed. He already had his ill-fated time in L.A., my man. <laughs> it's true. Uh, well, on that note, I think we got to say goodbye to the NBA season. It was an interesting one. It was exciting. And uh, and I'll remember it for what it was worth and, and for some of the, the star power that we saw at big moments. But that's going to do it, and that's going to, you know, get us ready. You know, baseball season will tide us over, but then college football after that. So we are in the dog days of summer as we bid uh, the NBA uh, one final adieu this year. Yeah, I'm all right. I think it's too early, actually, to start DVRing the uh, summer league schedule. But you can rest assured, my man, that yeah, I will check in. Yes, I am. I am that guy. I will check in on the summer league flow, as it were. But in the here and now, don't don't really remind me that we have to really focus on or concentrate on America's pastime between our two teams. I know. I was really. (laughs) I was really trying to leave that out. Um, I know we're we're both struggling. Thank God our divisions are just ridiculously awful this year. Which I don't. I think everyone kind of saw the AL Central being bad. Thank God it is. But the NL Central, oof, just nearly right there as well. So there's still time. Look, it's Thursday. <laughs> it's Thursday at the time of this recording, and the Cardinals have already scored a total of six runs this week. So I'm ecstatic. <laughs> yeah, I know. And the Indians are, you know, losing a couple games to the Dodgers. It's like in Puig flicking off the fans. It's like, well, I, I feel so betrayed. I've been defending him for a while. How could you do this to me, Yasiel? Just exasperating. Just exasperating. That's stuff. But all right, Bradford Bruns. Thanks again. Thanks for bringing the heat during basketball season. It was uh, it was a joy to make some picks and uh, get some right for a change. I finally nailed my the pick man. section of this show. My man, I bow down to you always. Hey, it's always a great time. Thank you so much for having me on so extensively during basketball season. And yeah, we'll have a we'll bat around a few topics here and have a few things with which to uh, whet the appetite before the round ball gets gets resumed all over again. Absolutely. Thanks again, Brad, for for joining the show. My pleasure, bud. Great chatting with Bradford. Very, very honest discussion. We mix humor in there, but you know, Bradford's a great guy. I appreciate him coming on the show. 
and it will not be the last time he is on this podcast. He's down to talk about anything, and I appreciate that. Thanks again to him. All right, now it's time to talk to Ryan Souls, the soul man in the house, in the studio. Just kidding, he's on the phone line, but you know, we got to chop it up about the NBA Finals from a broader perspective. Kevin Durant winning the Finals MVP, if he feels vindicated, if, if that takes away some of that criticism, what this Finals and other Finals loss means for LeBron James, how the Cavs can regroup where the NBA is right now. And also, we got to talk about this Mayweather-McGregor boxing spectacle, right? Well, we do. Whether you like it or not, we're going to just discuss it for a little bit, let you be the judge. It's the Money Mitch Effect. It's Ryan Souls. Here it is now. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect. Back on the show, friend of the program, Ryan Souls. Ryan, thanks for joining us, and it's a sad day. No more basketball season. we got a couple months now. Nothing uh, to talk about that. Yeah, we really got nothing to talk about. Uh, you know me, especially knowing the sports that I get into. But it's so happy to, or I'm so happy to be back. I'm, I'm glad to be here with you, Mitch, and hopefully we can give uh, some entertainment and uh, these next couple months, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know uh, if anything about you has changed. I don't foresee you going to, uh, you know, any baseball games in the Chicago area in the next. Nah, nah <laughs> in any area in the country, okay. for that matter. Okay, all right, yeah. well. We'll, we'll make the most out of this uh, final basketball talk uh, of the year, Ryan. And, you know, the Warriors win the NBA championship in five games. And I'll start with, with this question for you. Ryan, do you think it's fair to say that their three-year stretch is one of the greatest ever? I mean, I know they didn't three-peat, but depending on what they do next year, if you combine regular season success their championship pedigree, and then just how they play the game and the efficiency with which they do it, are they in that discussion? Well, that that's what I was getting ready to say. I think when you combine what they've done in the regular season and the postseason, it definitely makes for an interesting conversation. You know me, I'm always apprehensive about getting in these sort of conversations now because it, seem, it, it seems so early, even though they've already won two titles, but I think that's just because the core group of the team is so young. But that being stated, too, if the Warriors never won a title, you know, for the rest of Steph Curry's or whoever's career, uh, which is very, very, very unlikely, I think still this three-year stretch we we would put up there. Yeah, well, they won 67 this year, uh, 73 last year, and I think Mm -hmm. it was 66 two years ago? It was 66, 66. Yeah, it was 66 games. You know, that's uh, that's Jordan Bull three-peat. I mean, they're the standard bearer in my mind, the last mm-hmm. three-peat. But uh, they're right there. I mean, they didn't win the title. A lot of people think they could have if things go differently, if Draymond doesn't get suspended, if Curry and Iguodala aren't banged up. But be that as it may, they're just – and I know, you know, the league might be going in a direction where it's not as competitively balanced. But, I mean, take that out of it for a second, Ryan. They're just a joy to watch play. They really are. They really are, and they're just, they're smooth. They play defense, uh, but it's the way they play defense. Most fans, I don't think, would consider it boring. You know, and we we tout defense, people think boring, but this team is far from it, and they they really are. Just, they're a really fun team to watch. They are, and I think you can go in a lot of different ways for for why that is the case. The one guy I want to talk about in particular is the Finals MVP, Kevin Durant. Ryan, he got more flack than anybody, maybe any pro athlete with the exception of LeBron's first move to Miami. 
for his decision. Might have even been more if you consider the dynamics that went around it, losing to the Warriors as a member of the Thunder last year and then joining the team. But I don't think it can be denied that he was the main reason that the Warriors won the finals, uh, Ryan. 35 points a game in the finals along with eight and I think five to go with that. I know we're not going to be able to say one thing or another validated somebody, but that performance, does that take any of the criticism away, do you think, that Durant absolutely dominated in the finals? I don't, I don't think it takes any of the criticism away because I think people are going to say what they want to say, but what I do think this says is that you cannot say that Kevin Durant did not lead this team to the finals and through the finals. Kevin Durant throughout the playoffs and really in the finals was at the helm of all this. And he was the best offensive player, probably a top three defensive player all through, which we really hadn't seen in his career in OKC. And I think just all around, he led that team. You can't, you can't say uh, he went and just won a, won a title as a side man. He, he was the guy. Well, and two, I want to add something else. Uh, I know we talk about the finals, and, and I'm on record as as being in favor. I'd like it to be more of a of a hockey based type award where they give that MVP for the entire playoffs. Mm-hmm. But let's take it back the entire season. If Durant doesn't get hurt, remember he finished second team All NBA, right. but missing a lot of games. If he doesn't get hurt the way he was starting to play before the injury in the regular season, Ryan, there's a good chance he's a top three MVP finalist. Oh, absolutely. And there's a very good chance that next year he's going to be a front-runner for that MVP award. So I I just want to put that into perspective. He had been doing it for a lot of this year. Uh, He got acclimated to a championship team, to a loaded team, better than anyone I can imagine, including LeBron James in Miami, quicker, I should say. Absolutely. And, And I just think... It can't be said like the Warriors don't probably don't beat Cleveland without Durant, and they won in five games. That's how dominant he was. And, and I think when you take into account all that he did in this finals on the defensive end, as you said, I know people are going to say what they want to say. I actually did like the Nike debate this ad because you can tell Durant's happy, and he doesn't care what anybody else thinks, and mm-hmm. people can critique him fairly or unfairly, but he enjoys being a part of that Golden State team, and his play – just blossomed as a result. I don't. I'm with you. I don't think it takes away the criticism, but it definitely, to me, validates some of his decision making and just shows what, what a lot of us have already known. This was always a championship level player. Mm-hmm. I I really have nothing else to add. I mean, he 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 really took this finals over, and you know, as well as and I'm sure we'll talk about him, but as well as LeBron James played to me, Kevin Durant. Really, anytime that team got into a rhythm, the Cavaliers, Kevin Durant just came down and took it away. Yeah. And we, we, that was really Russell Westbrook's job in Oklahoma City. <laughs> and we really didn't see that a lot out of Kevin. And it, it was that, that was cool because it, it's just, it, it's something to watch in this day and age because you don't see a lot of basketball players at that height that have that sort of mentality all over the court. I mean, we're going to remember Game 3 as the game when he made the play down the stretch, hit the game-winning shot, really stole that one from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And defensively, I mean, we talk about LeBron, and we're going to get to him in a second, how dominant he is, but Durant was the best on-ball defender in this series. And there were key plays in a lot of these games, not just Game 3, where he got the team going, stopped the Cleveland run with his defense. 
I mean, oh, I agree. That's the part to me that stands out is the development. Durant was, you know, 20, 20 point score his rookie year, then went to 25, hit 30 thereafter. We knew he could score. I mean, that's, that's not breaking news. But his mm-hmm. defense and his defense and clutch moments is what I pinpoint the development, the continued growth to Kevin Durant. Superstar, and ultimately, I mean, he's probably going to go down as a top five forward of all time. I mean, LeBron's already there, but I think Durant's going to be crashing that forward <laughs> distinction pretty soon as well. Oh, he very well could, and, it, and it's just set up perfectly because he can continue to pad his resume so long as this group stays together. So this is the James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant situation times 10. Yeah, and they're all older, they're all more mature, and, and they know what it's like to win and to lose. I mean, mm-hmm. that's another big thing is everybody on that team, Durant, did more than his fair share of losing the Warriors last year in the finals. They know what it's like to come short, so I think that's going to be big uh, as well. Still chatting with Ryan Souls uh, on the Money Mitch effect. Ryan, you alluded to him. Uh, it was another great performance from LeBron James, but it also resulted in another loss. I know he did everything he physically could uh, in this finals to, to push it along. If anything, to me, I mean, that was... I thought this would be a... a I actually got this one on the head, the uh, Golden State 5 prediction, but it shows to me just how dominant Golden State is and how great Kevin Durant is that LeBron did everything he could. LeBron's numbers, first ever to average a triple-double in the finals, and they still couldn't even get it to six games. I mean, that's how I look at the positive here. I look at he did all he could, and it still wasn't enough to stop a team like Golden State. I agree, and he, he really did all he could on the defensive end as well. I mean, we, we can debate that that game three Kevin Durant pull-up three-pointer, you know, forever, uh, LeBron's defense on him. But I just – I think LeBron did everything. And you're right. It, it puts it – just, it just puts Golden State on such a level, you know, talent-wise, just knowing that the best player in the world did this and he only got a game. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's crazy. It's really crazy to think that. But uh, I, I came away, I came away from this finals still with an appreciation for LeBron James, a basketball player. But I, I <laughs> as a middle of the road guy in a lot of areas, I just don't think that it damages his legacy. But I also don't want to hear the cop out of well, it was just Golden State, you know, because right. it, it's impossible well, to say what other. You know, historically great players, Jordan comes to mind, would have done in that situation. Well, and I don't that, know and if that, there's an answer to that. And you alluded to my point because here's the question I was going to ask. And, you know, this is – you take it how you want. And it's no shade on LeBron and it's no, you know, casting a larger light on LeBron. But if we take any of the greats and sub LeBron out with this team, let's say Larry Bird, let's say Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, we can go down a list – I don't know if they beat this team either. Here, here, I just, yeah. I, I don't know. You know, here's the one thing I'll say, and I don't think anybody beats the team the way Cleveland was playing with LeBron putting up numbers that maybe nobody else could put up uh, mm-hmm. historically. But the kicker to that would be, I don't know that they would play that way. You know, I, I think, and this might be on Ty Lue as much as anybody, they were right. going a little too fast in this series for me. I don't but, know, that, but, you know, you know, and, and maybe that's you don't a, have a choice. Yeah, I, there were because, times though there were some I, quick Cleveland possessions where I thought, okay, let's not, you know, in game four, 
they got a lead. I mean, that's part of it too. But they started to grind it out a little better. Uh, mm-hmm. And even in game three, when they were when they were up, you know, in the second half, I just I, I don't know. It's a tough one to ask, but you know, probably not. Golden State, this team might be the best ever. They're in they're in the clubhouse. You know, they're right. on the short list. And, and I will say this: a, a couple things about LeBron. I, I think, and, and really about the pace. I, I think to beat. To even stay in the game, I think you had to try to just go blow, blow for blow with that team. I think LeBron recruited those three-pointers there for a reason. Uh, but I think about LeBron, you know, you were saying how other greats, if they, you know, they may have played it differently. And, and maybe, you know, you can speak to this, but I thought we saw LeBron turn into a monster in the post when he chose to be. And... I think him getting in the paint more, especially in, a, I think it was a 36 to 11 run in game five, and then really any other time, he can get in the paint, no one can stop him. Yeah. And it seems like as great a plays that he's made, as great of the passes that he made, it seemed like he could have get he could have gotten easy buckets at any time that he wanted, and sometimes he just did not do that. Well, I think defensively, that's where, I mean, they just couldn't get stops. Even, no, you know, late, late third quarter, early fourth, when the Cavs were, you know, that six to eight point margin. And they right. would come down and score just about every time, but Golden State would always answer. So Exactly. It's and then the, not to mention the transition, too, which is just running wind sprints against that team. Yeah, well, it's pick your poison. They're going to either dunk or shoot a three. Um, exactly. And I will say this, you know, I was fortunate enough to, I was fortunate enough to catch this game with some people that, you know, do on-air work, Ryan, covering this stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, you lose that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Chris Broussard and Rob Parker, not to big-time anybody, but uh, while this game was going on, and, and Broussard, I think, put it perfectly, he said, Jordan and LeBron, the argument for GOAT is probably not going to go in LeBron's favor after, you know, his finals resume continues to mount, but just the fact that he's in this discussion shows that he's among the very best of the game and probably second, third, fourth, whatever you want to say overall. Look, I mean, the Warriors beat a LeBron-driven team and, and say what you want about Michael Jordan, but, you know, he owned the finals. He did. He did. Uh, and, and I agree. I think I think the LeBron versus Michael conversation, to me, ended with that loss. But in the same breath, I don't think that hurt LeBron James's legacy. I, I don't. I think LeBron... I think coming into this game, in my opinion, LeBron was a top five player. I think after this game, it's even more cemented. Uh, if you want to make him top three, if you want to put him behind Mike, I don't know. But I really have a hard time writing up a top five that didn't include LeBron James in it. It's tough right now, now, you know. And but I am, but I am more old school. You know that, and I do think, and I agree. With oh, I, you know, I am too. You know, I am too. I agree, with Jalen. I, I think. Let's let him pass magic first. I'm not there yet. <laughs> and that's you know, the, the, and that's the, a the debate, thing but is, I'm not a lot there of people yet. are. A lot, and I think a lot of people. Okay. They, they, I don't know. I, I think, I think I put magic a little more ahead of him because I think on offense, magic could really run two offenses. He he ran. No one ran the fast break better than Magic Johnson. No one ran half court better than Magic Johnson. But I will say this also. LeBron James, at any point in his career, including now, has always played better defense than Magic Johnson. Okay, all right. But let me just say always. this, though. Let me say this, though, just to be clear. If mm-hmm. Magic Johnson's playing in 2017, he's going to develop a three-point shot. 
Oh, 100%. So his uh, offensive numbers absolutely. will go up. So that's why I don't like the comparing points thing. Because I think in this era, you know, what would Jordan do? That's my biggest thing. We don't know the Jordan-LeBron right. debate in different eras, but I do know Jordan would develop a better three-point shot and probably push 40 points a game in this I league. agree with I agree with that 100%. Uh, I will say this. From a rebound and an assist perspective, LeBron James and Magic Johnson, to me, are almost dead even. Yeah, it's close. I don't know about yeah. it. Magic might be my favorite passer ever um yeah i mean the passes he made so. were, were but i think if you give lebron kareem or james worthy he, i mean he had Dwayne wade and he had chris bosh but i i think i think the way the game was played then may have been different it's a tough it's tough i probably put put magic right now but i don't i don't know uh how long i'm gonna be able to say that mm-hmm well, I do want to move on here on the Money Mitch Effect with Ryan Souls. Uh, these two teams, Cavs-Warriors, what are the chances, starting with Golden State, it looks pretty good in the short term, but longevity-wise, I mean, can they realistically keep all these players? You know, that's a tough question. I don't I, I don't see Kevin Durant leaving. You know, when, when he first signed there, I really thought it was going to be a one-and-done type of thing. I, I didn't see him going back to Oklahoma City, but I just didn't see him see him staying there especially with all the criticism that he was going to get but he's happy so i don't see him leaving steph curry's going to get the max this summer he's not going anywhere to me the key piece is clay thompson and i think it's it's either after next season or after the season after but he's going to want to get paid too yeah and he deserves to get paid but that that's going to be tough, and it just comes down to and in this day and age, I can't I can't blame a player. But it's, what do you value? Do you want to be a part of a dynasty? I mean, they they could win, they could legitimately win five straight titles, <laughs> or all four of them could get two hundred million plus dollars too. So yeah. I'm 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 not mad at I, I'm not mad at either decision from a fan's perspective. I want to see them stay together. Just because I want to see history, if we're going to do the super team thing, then let's just do it big, I guess. But I can't get mad at him for getting paid either. Yeah, Clay is a key because also his defense, right? I mean, like right. what he's able to do as a two guard, I don't know many two guards that could guard Kyrie Irving. You know, I mean, Kyrie's going to get his, but he did as good a job as anyone could uh, on him. Now, let's also say this, though. You said two years. That could be two more titles. At that point, Clay would have four rings. Mm-hmm. Would anybody blame him for leaving then? I mean, at that point, they are a dynasty. At that right. point, they've done it all, and maybe he wants to get paid. And if Clay, you know, it, it, the answer to my question is the Warriors should be here for a long time. Even if in two years Clay leaves, people forget how <laughs> smart this team is drafting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think they could find someone, probably not Clay Thompson, but to assume that role, maybe Durant. Curry and Draymond would all have to chip in more on offense. I mean, we know they can. So I think the Warriors are uh, are probably here to stay. Although I didn't hear one city, one region of the country, Durant shouted out, and that was uh, the DMV. So if he's going to go anywhere, maybe a homecoming in uh, DC. For the Wizards. That would be interesting. I don't really see that. But that that would be no, not in the short term. Not but the term. but the key to this question for me is the Cavs. Because Absolutely. They're at a point now where they are clearly. To a lot of people, probably probably everybody, the second best team. But that mm-hmm. is the first loser to a lot of people as well. So what do they have to do, Ryan, to – can they do anything 
to get to that championship level against this Warriors team, barring you know an injury or a bounce of good fortune that we're not seeing. What can the Cavs do with that roster? Well, I think you look at it two ways. Uh, you can call me crazy for looking at it the first way, but I think the first thing is you be patient. You don't do anything at all uh, for a while. You got to the finals. It's it's clear and obvious that this team does not care about the regular season based on how they performed in the regular season yeah. and how they immediately ramped it up in the, in the postseason. So it, it's obvious that they don't care about that. I think LeBron James is the key to this team, as young and as great as Kyrie is. He is the key. Um, it, it's obvious when he's down the court how bad this team is. And the, and the numbers will, will show you that. So they could not do anything. If you add a piece uh, or try to trade, this sounds crazy too, but to me, Kyrie Irving is your most valuable piece. Now, is he on the is he is he on up for debate? I don't know. I don't, yeah. But but he's your most valuable piece to me. You can That's... get the most back for Kyrie. Will that happen? Probably not. But this team could do nothing, wind up in the exact same situation, and when you get to the finals, you never know. Yeah, but, I mean, maybe. Do, do you know <laughs> in this case? I don't know. I mean, this is a tough team to beat. And I mean, let, let, let me ask you this. Game three, Kevin Durant doesn't hit that shot. Perhaps we're looking at a 2-2 okay. right. series. Go, understand it, but, but this is my counterpoint. I'm glad you brought that up. Okay. I look at each game on a case-by-case basis. If okay. Durant, I mean, you have to. If Durant doesn't hit that three, if the Warriors lose, I would bet that we would see a different, more focused different Warriors, Warriors team in Game team. Four. So that's why I don't really like that argument as much. Okay. Uh, especially, especially that the Game Three to Game Four is a big difference between being up two one or three zero. Oh. I agree. With I think that. that's when lacks of days. You know, that's when those lazy habits come in, and they'll be the first to admit that. But be that as it may, I just don't think you can trade Kyrie Irving. He's the bright young spot on this team, and we know LeBron's. You know, just like a cyborg at this point, but he's. You know, getting older, he'll be 33 this year, and he's a short-term contract guy as well. So, you know, that's the other the plot drama is will LeBron ever leave Cleveland again? But I think the only the only move out here that might even make sense because you don't have to, as you said, you don't have to do anything necessarily. But if you try to flip Kevin Love and try to land a guy like Paul George, could that work? Could that give them more flexibility? That's what it would take. Now, I'm on record saying I don't think the Pacers should do anything until next summer because he's locked the contract until 2019. So I wouldn't risk it. I think the Timberwolves showed you that you wait until at least that final offseason to leverage it, but that's just me. Hmm. Yeah, and I the Paul George situation is interesting because you could end up with a, a Dwight Howard prime situation, a Carmelo Anthony situation. Uh, where you, you could end up getting nothing from him or for him. Well, yeah, Carmelo got they got a lot of pieces. You know, the Knicks played that horribly. That's what they did. Know, that's play, what yeah. I don't want the Lakers. If the Lakers really think Paul George is is in their future, don't give up all these assets for a guy you could just sign who wants to be there. I agree with that. But the Timberwolves waited with Kevin Love. He wanted out for two full years, just like George. They waited till a team with the number one draft pick, Cleveland, was looking to win now and got that pick. So I just think it's better to just wait and see, given that he's not a free agent for two years. Right, right. Uh, I would ask. Th- I would. Well, I would ask you this: Could they get Paul George without having to give up Kevin Love? Is that possible? Uh, Kyrie, but I, they, I don't think they would do that. And I, and I can't see I'm, it. This I, is a tough. This is a yeah. tough conundrum. David Griffin has done a great job as GM of this team, and Chris Grant before him for laying the mm-hmm. groundwork for this. 
but they have more luxury tax than anybody. They're repeat offenders. They have no draft picks. I mean, what do you do? <laughs> exactly. And I'm, and I'm going to ask this, too, about Kevin Love. If Kevin Love is not on this team, and I ask this legitimately, where are you getting rebounds from in crucial games? Because Tristan Thompson <laughs> showed me nothing. he was nothing. <laughs> Nothing. He got and out, because he got out-rebounded by Steph Curry? By, by, a point guard. by a He got out-rebounded by a point guard. I think Kevin Love, getting that first title was so huge for Kevin Love's confidence playing on that team because he knew what his role was, and he really embraced his role in the postseason. I think, you know, we just saw some games out of Kevin Love that, that really harkened back to the Minnesota games. Yeah. And, and I think that... Last year, I would have been completely on board with, with shipping Kevin Love. But I think now, him being a rebounder, he, who's always been a top rebounder, against Golden State, who really who you're, you're, not care, you're not really caring about anybody else, you need rebounding. So you, you, to me, you've got to figure out, you've got to keep those three together if, if you're going to do anything. Because I think Kevin Love provides too much yeah. at this point. Well, and I last thing I'll say on that, Ryan, I agree with you. I think it's impossible for this team to beat Golden State while playing big minutes with Thompson and Love together. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you would want to get rid of Thompson, and I agree. But who's, who's going to eat that deal? Yes, <laughs> ding, 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 we have a <laughs> Who's going to eat that deal? Um, so we'll see. I mean, this is a, this is a tough team. This is a savvy team. It's got LeBron. They're always going to be contenders, but they do have some work to do. At least we can agree that. Do we have enough data now? The Kardashian curse is real. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. James yeah, Harden's yeah. going to be either an MVP or runner-up, sure. looking spry one year at, removed from it, and Tristan Sometimes. Thompson was ruined in the finals. So absolutely. The data absolutely. is there. All right, Ryan, last thing on the NBA before uh, we start to wrap this up. How are you going to remember this season? I mean, it's, it was super team-driven. We saw the first trilogy in finals history. Was it a good season? Were there other storylines to uh, – that caught your attention? How are you going to look back at the 2016-17 NBA season? You know, that, that's a really good question. I think, honestly, right now, I'm kind of flat. I'm, I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel great about it. But I will say that I can't imagine how the people in the 80s felt if you weren't a Celtics or a Lakers fan waiting for that every year. Because no doubt no one was going to miss that. That that was must-see TV. But waiting for it, I'm curious what that did because that really would wait on me. I would have just, let's do a best of 41 between the Cavs and the Warriors and let's just scrap the rest of the postseason. Um, because we, we, we if these rosters stay together as currently constructed, we know what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that's where I was let down. I wasn't let down by these finals, even though they ended in five games. It was it was awesome to see both of these teams play at their maximum when they were doing that. But getting there was such a drag. I look at it as there's a disconnect, you know, and and that's a deep word for for just the game. But mm-hmm. there's the, the finals were great. You know, the action at that level is great, and there is a lot of young talent in this league. And and you watch regular season, you know, random regular season games on league pass, you see a lot of bright young talent. There might not have been as many, you know, great at least offensive players at a time in NBA history. But yeah, there, there's no middle ground. It's just Cavs, Warriors, young talent, but we know what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. I think that should scare a lot of people. And, and 
it's funny because the Warriors and the Cavs are just, you know, taking advantage, being smart about it, but taking advantage of a system that works in their favor. But the product itself, you know, the finals, you know, hit that the ratings high, but the playoffs overall were down. And I think that speaks volumes about the current climate. And I'm, I'm a fan of basketball, especially at the NBA level will, will always be. But I was mm-hmm. with you. It was, it was a drag, and I was kind of let down. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Would you favor the first round going back to a best of five? Absolutely. But there's a lot that I would do that's lower on my totem pole. Okay. I would get rid, would get rid of conferences. Oh, I totally. I, I agree 100%. I, I think go one versus 16. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's east-west. Let them play each other. Yeah. I would also get rid of, um, and I, I know we're talking about player safety here, but all this time between games, I feel like you're in the postseason. Yeah. One day. Um, the, the one day. One day. You're in the postseason. You're a professional. Go out and play. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. And, I mean, I think you would force coaches to manage minutes better. I think we would see which teams were really deeper. And, um, yeah, I think those are great starts. Eight teams in each conference are guaranteed spots. We can do that. But after that, they'll <laughs> just go one to 16. And, and, you know, the other thing that I talk about, too, I mean, I would get rid of the luxury tax. I think it makes it even more you know, disadvantageous to the owners that don't have as much money as the other owners. You know, I think a hard cap. If that's if players want to take less money, they're that's their right. You know, that is something right. you could do. But this luxury tax idea that if if an owner can, if you want to sign over the cap and you have the money to pay for it, okay. Well, you're punishing fans with the owners that don't want to pay for it or just can't financially pay for it. So we'll see. I mean, it was a fun season, but as always, we're, we're left wanting more and. uh we dark. got the three on three this summer. Wait, are you talking about the, <laughs> yeah, you're talking about Ice Cube's league. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ice Cube's league. We got that. Today There's... still may be a good day. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to have a triple double in the games. I don't know. It's he's, he's getting up there. He's like 47 now. But... He is. Allen Iverson might have a triple double. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they can get him to the games on time, that's Absolutely. my biggest thing. And if Oakley's going to play, I think we might need to address the rule book. But 100. Uh, <laughs> percent Put him in shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lastly, though, Ryan, before I let you go, Ryan Souls Money Mitch Effect, it ha- finally happened. We're going to see Mayweather McGregor August 26th at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas in a boxing match. What's your interest level on a 1 to 10 with mine right now being about negative 7? <laughs> okay. I have two interest levels. I'm interested in the result beyond a 10 because I just want to see the aftermath of all this. I'm completely disinterested in the actual fight. I don't want to see this. I want to see Canelo Alvarez versus Triple G. Oh, that's going to be great. That's the event of the summer as far as I'm concerned. But the aftermath of this fight is going to be amazing. The press could be good, you know. It could kind, be. Kind of all, the, the, the weigh-in way is much CTV because yeah. they, they hate each other. I yeah I think yeah social media is going to be the highlight the 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 memes Absolutely. building up to this fight. Um, Absolutely. Why do we want to see a boxer, even if it is a past his prime boxer, fight a UFC fight, fighter in boxing? We, don't we know what's going to happen? I mean, there's not even the chance of a, a potential upset, in my opinion. But here, here, here's the thing, though, and to me, this is the the iota iota that makes it interesting. What if? Conor McGregor touches him. Then he's going to come after the, the Golden State Warriors, the New England Patriots, the Chicago just, Cubs. He's going to go after every sport. No, I'm not even saying <laughs> knocking him out. I'm just saying what if he touches him? Because the mo- if he touches him, 
it's a whole different ball game for Floyd because I right now and I, if I'm Floyd, I agree. I don't think if I'm Floyd, I don't think he can touch me. Yeah, no. But if he comes out, if he comes out here and hits me and actually hurts me, yeah. oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Now we we might want to watch. Yeah, well, and, and I think I think this fight, the only way I would have watched is the hybrid fight if it would have been like six rounds of boxing and then an MMA round. That's, so but that's not even fair. Well, you know what though? You you think it's not fair? You think Connor could just fair. avoid him? I I, I think Connor knock him out. I think Connor could avoid him, and I think as soon as it gets to the yeah. MMA round, you get Floyd on the ground. Yeah. It's over. Well, it's we over. Have, we have a friend that's on this show who covers MMA, Jose Youngs, and he said what McGregor should do is just when they go to touch gloves, just throw like a a roundhouse kick that just misses him. <laughs> Any time I want. <laughs> so. I, you know, hey, what can you do? I, I'm not going to, I'm honest though, Ryan, I'm probably not going to watch. Uh, I, and I oh. know oh, it has it, nothing, this one doesn't even touch the other serious debate of conscience versus would you support put money putting money into Floyd Mayweather's pocket? This is totally separate from that. This is, I just don't find this entertaining. Oh, here's the thing. I don't support, I don't financially support uh, Floyd Mayweather either. But I'm watching this fight. I ain't paying for it, but I'm watching it. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm. I ain't missing this. Um, yeah, but I ain't paying for it. Okay. I mean, yeah, I refuse. Right. But I, I will be tuned in. Okay. Well, I had to get your take on it. There's still, you know, two months of uh, of prep time for it. But well, real quick on the way out, though, there is a good yeah. boxing match this weekend. Ward Kovalev too. That's gonna be a good fight. I think Kovalev gets him. I thought he got him the last fight, but. I think I, we're going for a trilogy in this. I just think there's no way. I think he's going to get the bump if it's close because you know how boxing is. We want to see three, and I think Absolutely. we will. I think Kovalev gets him this weekend. That's going to be interesting. I think I might go with you, uh, Kovalev. You going to watch? I am going to watch. That fight, I like good. There's not that many good fights left, although no. I got to give props, Ryan. The Joshua Klitschko heavyweight fight was one of the best heavyweight fights I had ever seen. That was a good fight. And I, I got to say, Joshua beating Klitschko. Klitschko never got the respect he deserved mm-hmm. being the heavyweight champ that long. And he might not be the champ ever again. But he took a full-on uppercut from Joshua that would have left us still lying there. And he got up. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's, like, that's incredible. To me. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, it was just nice to see two heavyweights in shape. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's a sad state of boxing we're just looking yeah. in shape heavyweights now yeah it was just nice to see heavyweights in shape man but alright Ryan Souls this was fun um, yeah I'm sad that basketball season is over and now we gotta wait till football and it's gonna be a few months so we'll have to oh, yeah. in there I'm already ready but alright Ryan thanks again for coming on as you know you're welcome anytime I appreciate you man thanks for having me Huge thanks to both our guests, Bradford Bruns and Ryan Souls, for appearing on the show, breaking down the NBA Finals and some other topics as well. Thanks to them. Thanks to Tim Adams for supplying the beats and Brian Nelson for supplying the logo. Appreciate those guys coming through, doing a solid for me. You can find the Money Mitch Effect this episode and all the episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. You can follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. Yesterday, I gave a shout-out to the birthday of Wade Boggs always be aspiring to break his record uh, for beers drunk drinking on a national cross-country flight but that's another story this was the money mitch effect i am mitch michaels and i want to say one little announcement before i end the show the money mitch effect this summer we're going to talk baseball we're going to talk wimbledon and all the big sporting events but we're also going to do a lot more interviews 
one to two shows a week guaranteed. We'll do our best to bring some high-profile guests and get some broad perspectives on a lot of sports topics. You're not going to want to miss that, so stay tuned to the summer of the Money Mitch Effect. Summer of money, as I like to call it. That does it for the show. I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect, and until next time, you know, keep watching and enjoying sports.